This is Outside Shots, a college basketball betting podcast with Eli Hershkovich. Seven seconds to go. Three-pointer. Covering game-by-game odds and futures markets. It's Outside Shots, presented by the Lions. Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. You can follow us on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. And before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up, subscribe, and ring that bell to get notifications whenever The Lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the Final Four or the National Championship game. And TheLines.com has given away another $100 Amazon gift card in our daily March Madness Pick'em Contest for the Final Four. For more details, head over to play.thelines.com. And as always, join the Lines Discord betting channel to get notifications whenever our staff, anyone from our staff, makes a bet in March Madness, including myself. Had a nice San Diego State bet going back to before the Alabama game on the Aztecs to make the Final Four at plus 650. Granted, I've had some other bad bets throughout the tournament. So head over to the Lions Discord channel for more. But without further ado, very excited to bring in today's guest recording here on Monday night, Monday late afternoon, John Murray, the director of race and sports over at the Westgate Superbook in Las Vegas. Follow him on Twitter at Vegas Murray. Pumped to have you back on a podcast, John, because we go back. I think I was looking back at some of my old podcasts earlier today just because I had the day off. We did a podcast, I think in 2019, talking about UNC and Cole Anthony. You're a big college hoops fan, so this should be a <laughs> wow. good podcast. I remember that because I had a bet on North Carolina to win it all because Cole Anthony signed there. So I bet I bet Carolina to win it all. I got a refund on that bet because the because <laughs> they didn't play at the NCAA tournament that year. Not my best bet. Not the best bet I've ever made. Carolina was not going to make the tournament. And right. we got a uh, we got re- all all futures bets got refunded that year obviously. Right. So before we get into some of the futures liability at Westgate, a futures bet that you had did not go too well for you on Sunday night. I know you have some not so nice words for that team, but What's this month? What's this month been like for you, John? Because we can go behind the counter to the point I just made about the liability futures wise individual bets during March Madness. But you're a huge college hoops fan, like I Mm -hmm. like I mentioned. So not only is this a a long month for you from the standpoint of you have a lot going on with all these games, but you're also so into March Madness. Well, I love it. I mean, there, there's no doubt that March Madness is the best tournament in any sport. It's the, it's the most fun. It's the most fun to track and watch, and and it's the most fun to bet, and it's the most fun to book, and it's just it's a crazy two to three weeks for us. Really, the Final Four and and the championship game are not that busy on the sportsbook side. I mean, if you think about it, this Saturday there's two games. And we get hundreds of games every Saturday all all winter long. So really by this time of year, it actually starts to slow down. But the opening weekend, Thursday and Friday, is just total mayhem around here. Just controlled chaos with big VIP customers coming in, all these line moves, trying to track all the games, trying to relay to our bosses what we're rooting for in every game. Because even casual people want to watch March Madness. They're watching the games, so they want to know who we're rooting for. 
in every game. It, it's a lot to keep track of. Last weekend, I think, is more fun with the Sweet 16 and the regional finals because the first week is just a little bit too crazy. But, but the whole thing is great. And I didn't even talk about the week before that, which is the best week to come to Vegas if you are a college basketball fan. Come out here for the conference tournaments. You got more games to bet on than either of the other two weekends I mentioned. Plus, you can go to games here. You can go to the Pac-12 tournament, the Mountain West tournament, the West Coast tournament. It's great. That's really the best week of all, I think, in Las Vegas. And just to hit on that, too, you went to UConn-Gonzaga over the weekend. Oh, and again, yeah. we'll, we'll touch on liability from that game and, and futures-wise with the Huskies, considering mm-hmm. they're a massive favorite at this point. The odds-on favorite at minus 125 pretty much at every buck to win the whole thing. And considering they opened at a round or closed around 20 to 1 entering the tournament. So what was that experience like for you? Because we were kind of discussing this before the podcast that you never thought you would see a, a regional semifinal in March Madness in Vegas. No, I, I, I certainly did not. I mean, to think that I would be able to go to a, a regional a re, a regional final and without even having to leave the city, uh, you know, and the NCAA and, and gambling were, they were very scared of gambling when I first got into the business. Let's just say that. They wanted to ignore it. They wanted to act like it wasn't the reason so many people are watching these games, even though we all know that it was. And uh, they never wanted to really be associated with gambling. So to be on the Las Vegas Strip on Saturday night watching Connecticut and Gonzaga in a packed house at T-Mobile was very cool. I just wish the game hadn't been so, so bad. You know, we were we were so stoked when we got in there, me and my buddies. I went with two of my friends, and we're like, oh, my God, regional final, Gonzaga, Connecticut. This is going to be awesome. Uh, the first half was okay, but uh, the second half, Connecticut just imposed their will after Drew Timmy got into foul trouble, and uh, it really wasn't much of a basketball game, unfortunately. Yeah, you gave me another great transition there because I think – The thing, John, that you love the most besides field goals in the NFL Mm -hmm. is horrific officiating. So as a a college basketball fan, what is this like? What's your take on just some of the horrible calls we've seen in the tournament? Maybe that one. Which one are we? Well, I I didn't really think that they should have given Timmy that foul, but I'm not going to I'm not going to highlight that too much because Gonzaga was not going to win that game. So it didn't the, – the, the two on Sunday, though, I think everybody's talking about the San Diego State foul at the end of the game. I mean, I don't know. I'd love to get your thoughts on it, but it looked to me like that was a foul. I'm surprised they called it given the situation, but was that not a foul? Yeah, I thought that – and listen, I had a position on San Diego State like I mentioned. So I was pretty nervous because it seemed like <laughs> great, and if that game got to overtime, they were going to – beat the Aztecs. But yeah, I did think that was a foul. It seemed like Nemhard dislodged Darian Trammell yeah. on his way up on the floater, which he was crushing. And I mean, that's his game. So for Nemhard to make that contact, it was kind of the expectation to me just with that situation being so heightened. And you mentioned the Cunningham box out and maybe the push off on Isaiah Wong in the final yeah. three to four minutes of the Texas Miami game, but just overall sure. the tournament, the officiating has been terrible. No, I don't know. Can I get in trouble for saying that? I don't. I'm not. I don't. I didn't. I don't understand that call at the box out. I thought that's what. Yeah. I thought that's what you were supposed to do was to, when you're boxing somebody out is just get them as far away from the ball and the basket as possible. <laughs> I don't know how. Like how could that possibly be a foul on the Texas guy? I, I I didn't I didn't understand that call at all, but. 
I mean, th- this is a uh, this is part of in some ways part of March Madness as well. As you've got, there's always going to be some calls that are questionable that go one way or another that maybe put a star player into foul trouble or put a guy on the free throw line at the end of the game. I do. You, do you think it's been worse this year than any other year? I can't say that I. I don't know that I've noticed it being any any worse than it's always that it always is. Uh, College refs got to be. The, well, basketball has got to be the hardest game to officiate because these players are so big. They're moving so fast. They're going to make mistakes. Uh, you see it in the NBA all the time. I, I, I don't know that uh, even though, I, you know, I was rooting for Texas yesterday for several reasons, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to I'm not going to blame that on the officials. I didn't agree with the call, but I mean, how many times do you go through these big games and you agree with every call? I mean, never would be the answer. Right. So I, I don't. I don't think that Miami and San Diego State are headed to Houston because of the officiating. I, I don't. I, it's not what I took away from those games. No, it's it's a good point because Creighton also went two of seventeen from three, and you can make the case mm-hmm. that that had a lot to do with them pretty much having a six man rotation throughout the tournament, especially after Mason Miller went down in that first game against North Carolina State. But you mentioned Texas there, and we both mm-hmm. had Texas futures, so. No, I'm not just saying I thought that was a foul on Nemhard yeah. on the Trammell shot because I had a San Diego State position. I was pissed off with Texas down the stretch. I know you were too, but Marcus Carr also made some horrific decision-making in the last three to four minutes. So people don't really always get this perspective from a bookmaker because usually the traditional question is, what's your liability, right? It's kind of the norm yeah. at this point on podcasts, but you had a Longhorns futures bet. So take me through your emotions down the stretch well, of that game. We had, a, well, we had a lot of things going on because I, yeah, I did. I bet on Texas before the season started because of their coach. That's why I bet Texas because I, like if you if you asked me to be on your show back in September October and you asked me John who do you think is the best basketball the best coach in college basketball I would have said Chris Beard that's why I bet on the Texas Longhorns he gets himself fired in December but the team manages to get through the Big Twelve they get to the tournament as a two seed they're favored they were the biggest favorite of any team in the regional finals so I certainly feel like it was a good bet uh, disappointed to lose it but then we we had a few other things going on. We needed Miami big in the game, and, but we also have huge futures liability on Miami that we now have to deal with as we head into this final weekend. So a lot of different emotions. Did not agree with the call. Did not agree with the, if you want to call them, coaching adjustments made by Texas in the second half, if you can even be that kind. And, and certainly I, I agree with what you said about Carr. Um, but I, I don't I, – I think it's unfair – and maybe even like borderline disrespectful to not give a lot of credit to Jim Laranega in Miami because he's such an excellent coach. He had this team in the Elite Eight last year. We always rem- we all remember that Final Four run he had at George Mason back in 2011 when they beat Connecticut and they beat Rudy Gay, that classic regional final, actually where the Wizards play in my hometown. Um, I don't know. I don't want to take anything away from Coach Laranega because he's, he's awesome and Miami – to go to that regional and beat Houston and Texas in one weekend, I think you just have to give full marks to the Hurricanes for that. I thought Houston was the best team in the field going into the Sweet 16. I was so impressed with what they did in the second round when they just turned on the Jets defensively in that second half against Auburn. I was blown away by that, and I really thought they were going to be the team cutting down the nets in Houston. Uh, So I want to just give a lot of credit to Miami for an incredible weekend. 
Yeah. The adjustments he made, Larnega, talking about down the stretch in the Texas mm-hmm. game to get Carr isolated, whether it was against Isaiah Wong or Nigel Pack, but especially Wong because he's such a dangerous weapon off the dribble and in the mid-range and pull-ups and Carr by no means is known for his defense and Tyrese Hunter to an extent too. I That was the transfer going in. You mentioned the beard factor and he is one of the best tournament coaches, not to say he's not a, a terrible human being as well. I think that goes. Oh, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I said that I thought he was the best coach in college basketball going right. into the season. Right. I am not here to uh, endorse him uh, for man of the year, uh, but he, he's, He's quite a basketball coach. He really should have won the national championship in 2019. Don't remind me. Uh, and he, he's, he just, he's, a great, he's a great coach. He makes great adjustments. I'm not here to comment on what he does off, off, the, off the floor. But uh, I, do think he'll, I do think he'll end up going to Ole Miss, rehabilitating his image, and be right back in one of the more premium jobs within a few years. I think, uh, I think that's probably what's going to happen with Chris Beard. It makes for, and again, we'll get back to the Final Four in a second in the Elite Eight, Mm -hmm. but it makes for an interesting conversation just on a side note because Texas is going to the SEC, so Beard will take on his former program down the road here now that he's at Ole Miss, but going back to some of the liability that you mentioned with Miami, especially, like you said, you guys needed the Canes, but I know you guys also have some hefty Miami liability to win it all, so looking at the final four big picture here in terms of the second highest, this is the second highest total number of seeds sitting at when you add them all up at 23 in final four history, only trailing the 2011 final four, which featured a number three seed, UConn, number four seed, Kentucky, number eight, Butler and number 11 VCU. And that was the second mm-hmm. leg of Butler making consecutive championship games. And just one of the worst championship games. If you, unless you enjoy defense with UConn and Butler and the Huskies. No, that, that, that game was terrible. Nobody enjoyed that game. That, that was a terrible <laughs> basketball game. I, I, I said earlier, 2011, I, I meant uh, 2006 was when George Mason went to the final four. Getting my, uh, I'm getting my years mixed up. But yeah, I, I do remember that 2011 Final Four very well. And this one kind of reminds me of that one, Eli, where uh, you've just got teams that kind of came out of nowhere. Good teams, but low-seeded teams that came out of nowhere and got hot at the right time, right? I mean, and that's how you end up with VCU Butler in the Final Four, I guess. And this is something that I was first mentioning on the podcast that I did heading into March Madness. Because you look at a team like UNC last year. And they're one big flaw because they play semi-draft coverage with Baycott. So they tend to give up more open threes looking back at last season's team. And I think they allowed going into the final game against Kansas, the Jayhawks took advantage of the Tar Heels three-point defense in that title game, especially in the second half. But UNC was allowing Mm -hmm. something like their opponents, even with the Duke game included, like a 29% three-point clip. And we'll get to San Diego State FAU here in a second, but... Sometimes when you get these a one-game variant situation where you don't have a series to deal with like you have in Major League Baseball or the NBA, where a team might be flawed in one particular category, like San Diego State in a sense, and we'll talk about the Aztecs in a second in terms of their three-point percentage allowed when we get to the Final Four games breaking down SDSU, FAU, and UConn-Miami, but because of the nature of a one-game elimination you can get a team that is flawed in one category, 
But because they can take advantage of matchups, because everything revolves around matchups, then it happens sometimes. Well, especially in this one and done format, you know, and this this one and like you mentioned, Major League Baseball, the best of seven series, NBA with the best of seven series. In this one and done format, almost anything can happen. You know, that's why, like I've said many times, I mean, the, the best team in college basketball almost never wins this tournament. It very, very rarely happens. Probably 2012 when Kentucky won it, the Anthony Davis team. I think they were clearly the best team in the country that year. But that's why we love this tournament so much is because if you do get the right matchups or you get the right guy hot from three at the right time or the the wrong guy on the other team gets into foul trouble, just about anything can happen in in a one-off scenario. Going back to the future's liability for you guys, obviously having no one seeds, None of the favorites entering the tournament, or most of the favorites, I should say. I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. fared well from that perspective. But what's some yeah. of the big liability left at the Westgate Superbook when you look at UConn, San Diego State, Miami, and FAU? And I know you guys had some liability on the Owls to make the Final Four as well. Well, we, we try to book these things to need the favorites. I mean, we, we want to be in a position where if the best teams win, we win. That's generally how we do it doesn't always work out for you but uh we but i don't i can't i don't know of a better way to do it than to say okay i think these are the best teams let's win on these teams i mean if there's a better way to book futures i haven't seen it yet i mean i know that's a very simplistic approach i'm not saying that's the only thing we do but that is part of the philosophy is to win on the teams that we think are the best teams and none of these four teams are the ones that we thought were the best teams to be honest with you uh we we We've got a pretty significant liability on Miami, Florida. We do okay on the other teams. Right now, we're a, we're a small loser to Connecticut. Uh, we do we do very well on Florida Atlantic, uh, winning it all. That would be that that's very good for us. And we do well on San Diego State, winning it all. But but we already we already got hurt pretty bad with Florida Atlantic getting to the Final Four. Uh, we we had some pretty significant wagers on them getting to the Final Four. Bets that were made back way before the brackets came out. And we, we had to pay those off on Saturday. So good for those people. Not something that we, we really thought was realistic. Even when the brackets came out, we didn't think it was realistic. Uh, if you consider that they were a dog in the first game against Memphis, a game that they trailed up until the end. But uh, we also didn't think that their one seed was going to lose to Fairleigh Dickinson in the first round. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, to, to win a bet like that, you've got to have a little bit. you got to make a really good bet. you got to have a little bit of luck. And that's how a team like Florida Atlantic can be in the Final Four. They are a very good team, and they obviously had some luck on their side in terms of the way the brackets broke in March for them. Before we get into the Final Four matchups, and so early in the week, we're not going to do a a deep dive on these games, but do want to get your Mm -hmm. take, and I'll share mine quickly as well. But FAU over the weekend, because I'm sure you saw this blasted on Twitter, right? Up. The books need Kansas State. You got a ton of tickets, a ton of money on, <laughs> on K-State. Yeah. Same thing with UConn. Then yesterday, up oh, sharp money on Creighton and sharp oh, yeah. money on Texas, in a sense. I know that game was maybe kind of even in handle, and I'm curious how you saw it over at the Westgate. But I did this article with you and Matt Metcalf from Circa, two of the most well-respected bookmakers out in Las Vegas, when it came to the numbers being shorter with some of the major teams. And I that article is pinned on my Twitter. But you had a great quote at the end just talking about the handle that books tweet out is more for entertainment. It doesn't matter in the context of betting no. these games. So can you speak to that, especially with 
the four games I mentioned over the weekend. Matt, Matt Metcalf is a smart guy because he I was texting with him on Saturday night. He was at the David Benavidez fight across the street at the MGM Grand, which I told him I wanted to go to with him, but I was dumb and I went to the Yukon Gonzaga game instead. So he he was smart. He went he went to the much more fun sporting event on Saturday. But you know, you you mentioned their book or our, our book circa our book superbook, their book circa our book superbook. Different books are gonna have different positions on stuff. You know, you can't just say, Oh, all the, the books all need so and so. Well, you don't know that. Like we we needed Kansas State because we had this bad futures position on Florida Atlantic and other books might have a different position this weekend than we do. Maybe there's some other book that that has that loses a ton on San Diego State in the futures. We actually do very well on San Diego State, so we'd like to see them win. But you you can't it's not as simple as having this blanket statement of the books need so and so. We don't know, especially this time of year where you've got regional futures and national championship futures uh, it could be very different at a lot of different places i will say we talked to a lot of operators and pretty much everybody needed gonzaga against connecticut but that doesn't mean that every book is in the same position on everything and and to your point ignore those ignore those statistics out there about ticket counts and money because they really are just for entertainment purposes only especially the money the money numbers are totally worthless because you don't know if some guy came in and bet a hundred thousand dollars on Connecticut, and now the money the money statistics are all out of whack based on one bet, which does happen all the time. So I, I would really I really wouldn't get too hung up on those kind of numbers. And now let's dive into the final four matchups, which I know you're super intrigued by, John. San Diego State and FAU, (laughs) the Aztecs, a two-point favorite there. UConn, five, five five-and-a-half-point favorite, depending on the book, against Mm -hmm. Miami in the latter Final Four matchup on Saturday night. If I ask you which dog has a better shot to A, cover, B, win outright, would you say the Owls or the Canes? Well, if you're going to say outright, I'd have to say Florida Atlantic just because of the math. I'll cheat a little bit. But no, the, the dog that I kind of – that I, I would look to a little bit more personally is, is Miami for two reasons. I love the coach. We talked about that. I don't know about Hurley as a coach at that level, not yet in his career at least. And then the other thing is I think this number is a little bit inflated by how well Connecticut has been playing. Um, but, you know, as we talked about before we hit record – I felt the same way about Gonzaga plus three. The guys I went to the game with, they were like, what do you think? I was like, I don't know. This number seems pretty high just because Connecticut crushed Arkansas. I mean, if I had to play it, I probably would play Gonzaga. I didn't bet it, thank God. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that that pick didn't do too well. I think uh, sometime around when UConn got up by 30, uh, I was looking, I was not looking too good. And I, look, all four of these are great basketball teams. They all have great stories. They all earn their way to this Final Four for sure, but I'm all, the only reason I'm complaining a little bit is I just don't know how much this Final Four is going to move the needle at the window for the casual betters. I know that you know Florida Atlantic and San Diego State's a great game. I, I get that. But um, is it going to move the needle as much for the casual people? And is it going to generate the kind of handle that we're looking for? I don't think every Final Four needs to be Kansas, Villanova, North Carolina, and Duke. I don't want it to be. But that is good for business. Certainly. And going back to the UConn-Miami game, because I hit on this going back to the 
first podcast we did on outside shots before the tournament that I thought UConn's biggest liability stood out a lot in this region didn't come to fruition that way especially against Arkansas because I could not believe that the Hogs and Eric Musselman who's a great coach on a week's worth of prep didn't press until 13 Mm. minutes to go in the second half when Arkansas was down by 20-30 points like you mentioned in that Sweet 16 game but Laren I do give him the coaching edge here again. And Miami 1-4, through four, I know Amir does not have a size advantage by any means against Sunogo, but their athleticism 1-4, through four, I think, bothers UConn's ball handlers enough. And this is coming from somebody that has a Huskies futures ticket to win it all at 50-1 to one going back to the PK-85 in November. So I'm by no means looking at this as a Miami futures ticket holder or somebody that's going to bet Miami. I'm going to stay away from this game and just watch. I don't think I'm going to hedge either. But Andre Jackson and Tristan Newton, as good as Jackson is, especially as a playmaker. I mean, we saw that play. You saw it in person, John, before the end of the half, where he essentially stole a turnover away from Gonzaga and then found Caravan on the wing for that three. He's tremendous because of his athleticism and his vision at finding open teammates, but also on the glass as a rim protector, underrated in that aspect. And as a score, you know, Hurley mentioned this going back to post-game, because this is why UConn went through that lull in January, was because defenses sagged off at Jackson because he can't space the floor, and UConn needed time to adjust. They did, and it worked out in their favor in March against teams that aren't familiar like some of the Big East teams were in conference play. But going back to Miami, UConn turnover rate in Big East play, I think, was the worst, if not the second worst in conference play. And Miami forcing the fifth highest turnover percentage in the ACC. The question is, is can they get to the rim enough in transition? But that obviously has a lot to do with turnovers. So if you do get those mistakes and Jordan Miller, Isaiah Wong, and Poplar especially capitalize on those. I think UConn is vulnerable, but if this is more of a half-court game, even though Miami can hit the mid-range, especially with Wong, which is where UConn is most vulnerable in the half-court, it definitely favors the Huskies if they're able to keep Miami out of transition. I'd say about the only negative I can give you about Connecticut, and I'm, I'm reaching for anything here as we get ready for the Final Four, they haven't been challenged at all in this tournament. Yep. How are they going to react they blew through St. Mary's and Arkansas and Gonzaga. How will they react if they're down by four with six and a half minutes to go on Saturday night against Miami? That's just about the only thing I can say right now because this Connecticut team blew through the non-conference. They played well during Big East, but not great. And I think people forgot how good they were. And they are just crushing everybody in the NCAA tournament. So how will they react if they are behind the way all the other teams that are left have all faced adversity, big time adversity in this tournament probably should have been knocked out at some point. Connecticut just hasn't had to deal with that yet. So we'll see what happens to Hurley and the team uh, if the chips are down at some point on Saturday. And I was on, I've been on UConn the last two years. I had a futures bet going back to last NCAA tournament. I think I placed that before the season started. And to your point, Not to say that Hurley isn't a good coach. I think that's been torn apart, the notion that he isn't a good tournament coach at this point with UConn's run. Well, that's pretty – that'd be unfair to say that. We don't know that yet. You know, we we, – I just just don't – I wouldn't put him in the category with Laranega at this time. 
Uh, I, I'm not here to say that Hurley is just some clueless coach. I'm, I'm not sure that that's yeah. true. And I don't going, think that's true. Right. Going back to the New Mexico State game, first round of the tournament, because I kind of give him a pass for the year before against Maryland just because R.J. Cole was dealing with those concussion issues after the, the Big East tournament. They also had book night in that first-round matchup, mm-hmm. so they weren't necessarily as reliant on R.J. Cole as they were last season. But you look at last season in the first round against New Mexico State, UConn took a pretty early punch to the mouth, and they did come back in the second half. But as much credit, again, I have UConn futures, so by no means am I saying that I'm betting Miami, but Adama Sinogo made some pretty clueless decisions down the stretch in that New Mexico State game, including fouling Teddy Allen, the brother, I think the younger brother, older brother of Timmy Allen on Texas, when Mm -hmm. that game was tied in the final two, three minutes. So when situations get heightened, to your point, you don't know how A, coaches are going to react, and B, the the players are going to react to these intense single possession moments that UConn has yet to face in the tournament, at least this tournament. Even the best teams, at some point in this this tournament with this format, they face a very close game. And we, we, I don't, I can't, I mean, I'm sure it's happened before, but I just can't even really remember a team running through the tournament. Villanova 2018, probably. Villanova 2018. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But that's it. Well, it's, it's, it's highly unusual for a team to just roll through the NCAA tournament. I can even remember the, wasn't it that team with Hansborough and Lawson at North Carolina? Like, they should have lost in the second round to Arkansas. Was that, am I getting my years correct? I think that was 2009. 2000, even these great teams, 18 Villanova, you're right, but even these great teams almost always face some adversity. And we just haven't had, haven't seen Connecticut do that yet. I can't believe they'll get through these two games this weekend without having to deal with some of these close, tense possessions like we were talking about. Clutch free throws, needing a stop on the defensive end and getting the stop. I can't believe they'll get through the last two games without having to do that. With UConn defensively, as much credit as they've gotten, especially with their rim protection with Sonogo and Klingon, seven-foot freshman off the bench, who's probably ready to play pro basketball at this point in his mm-hmm. life, as we sure. saw against Gonzaga, looking like a man against Drew Timmy, who looked like a freshman in that second half and has nothing to do with the foul trouble. Alex Caravan, another freshman for UConn. When you look back, it wasn't just Jackson and defense is sagging off the small forward for Connecticut that gave them issues. Caravan got exploited defensively in the low post because he's a really good floor spacer, but not the most physical defender. And he's gotten better in that regard as the season has gone along. But Jordan Miller, like we saw, I mean, he was the key to Miami coming back in that second half. And I think he'll be able to take advantage of Caravan. I don't know what the points prop is going to be yet. I don't know if I'll have a wager on it either, but that's something I would look at. Mm if the number is good enough for Miller's points prop against UConn. But the other game that I want to touch on, and I know you said you would take Miami just in terms of the point spread between the two dogs, but San Diego State, I brought up this point earlier. The Aztecs have allowed opponents to shoot. This is crazy. 16 of 94 from three in the tournament, which equates to a 17, a flat 17%. From three. So you could say, because that kind of is parallel to UNC, granted it's much lower than UNC, allowing about a 29% clip entering the final four. But the difference for me with San Diego State versus a team like UNC is 
Number one, the Aztecs don't allow a lot of open threes, so it's not like they've gotten lucky per se, even though Creighton missed some open threes down the stretch in the Elite Eight matchup, Shireman and Trey Alexander in particular. But San Diego State has so much depth and physicality with that pressure defense on the perimeter in particular that gives teams fits. And Dutcher was also a longtime Steve Fisher assistant at San Diego Mm -hmm. State before he got the head job and Fisher retired. So you mentioned how Larinaga is great at prep and taking advantage of mismatches offensively. Dutcher is that and then some as a defensive coach. So as well as FAU could shoot the ball from three, the 25th highest three-point scoring rate. I don't really have a set take on this yet because I've yet to dig into it numbers-wise and metrics-wise as much as I would like. It's Monday for crying out loud, but I do think this number is a little bit short, John. What about you? Well, we we had this number come out at one and a half. We got to two, and then we took bets from a pretty sharp player at FAU plus two. So I I don't know. It looks like there's going to be some resistance there. I know for sure if we went over two, there'd be some resistance there. They would take take the dog against us. I, I made this line one and a half myself when the matchup was set yesterday, so it's hard for me to really complain about the line or say I like either side. Because, I mean, yeah, one and a half and two, that's a big difference, a bucket. No, I'm not saying it's not – not saying it's nothing. I'm just saying this line – this line's about what I uh, – about what I had said it. So I don't know that I can really uh, give a lean either way here. Wrapping it up with this, John, it's been a really fun mm-hmm. podcast. Again, you're one of my favorite people to talk to in the industry, but also because you're a huge college hoops junkie. And you're a Georgetown fan, and they just hired yeah. Ed Cooley. There are a lot of takes – Swing it around, especially on the East Coast near Providence, that Ed Cooley Mm -hmm. should not have left Providence. But I think we could both say, you know, from a, especially with a guy that has a massive following on Twitter that was making the case that Georgetown wasn't the better job. I think Georgetown clear cut is the better job for Cooley to take. I don't know that that's a little, that's just not a good argument. I mean, of course, uh, I mean, I'm biased. I, my dad went to Georgetown. I, I went to high school in Washington, D.C. We had tickets to the Hoyas my whole life. I'm, I am very biased here. I love Georgetown Hoyas basketball. But I, how could you possibly say that it's not a better job than Providence? That just – I don't know. I can't – I think people maybe lose track of how good the program was under John Thompson III. I know because they lost early in the tournament several times. But they went to the Final Four in 2007. In 2008 – they lost in the Sweet 16. They were a two seed. They lost in the Sweet 16 to some Davidson kid named Steph Curry, <laughs> who I, I, I still don't really like Steph Curry to this day because of that game. And, and they had a couple other teams with Greg Monroe and Otto Porter that were two seeds, three seeds in the NCAA tournament. Uh, this is a team, uh, a program that's they can they can be a high seeded team in the tournament. They can make a run to the Elite Eight or the Final Four. Providence, I don't think is quite at that level as a program, but I mean, maybe I'm being unfair, but, but the the best thing that Georgetown has going for it without a doubt is the location. I mean, it's the most fertile recruiting ground in the United States, in my opinion. Um, No one has ever been able to successfully put up a wall around the WCAC, which is the big conference in Washington, the conference that my high school, Gonzaga high school is in the WCAC. But if, if Ed Cooley can put up a wall and get all those WCAC kids to go to Georgetown, they could be uh, right back up at that Final Four level. So I, I don't know. A silly argument to say that Georgetown is not a better program than Providence. I don't know where you – I don't know how anybody could say that with a straight face. <laughs> 
And you mentioned getting guys, and this kind of, we're at this point of the podcast, we still have a lot of hefty, hefty college basketball fans, not just betters. So I think it's a, a fun conversation here to end the podcast with, because we saw Brandon Murray, he's not sticking around for Cooley, which I was kind of surprised about. He's an LSU transfer. So if you had to gauge it, put a a pick on it. I don't know if you even a, yeah. a theoretical over under on how long it takes <laughs> for Cooley to get Georgetown back to where it was. But if you could, if you yeah. did put a total number of years on it and set a market on it, what would the number be? Well, this is such a different era in college basketball. I mean, you can, you can, even if you're not changing coaches, you can retool your entire roster in one year. It not even just because you have a coaching change. So I don't see any reason why Georgetown can't be in the NCAA tournament next season. I, I think that they will be. I think they're going to get a recruiting bump because they have the new coach. And I think he's going to bring in some transfers. And I, I think this is a tournament team. I think the only – or will be a tournament team next year. I think the only thing working against them is how good is the Big East going to be next year? I mean, look at look how – UConn is the favorite to win it all right now. Uh, Creighton was one play away from making the Final Four as well. Marquette was a two seed. Xavier had a very good season. Villanova, I got to think they'll be better next year. Kyle Neptune going into his second season. They had a very disappointing year this year. And St. John's just hired a guy named Rick Pitino to be their coach. And I have a hunch that St. John's is going to get some good transfers as well this year. I expect them to be pretty good next season. So I think that might work against the Hoyas a little bit is how good the Big East is going to be. I'll say myself, I didn't realize how good the Big East was this year. I underestimated how good the Big East was, and I think we saw, unless you th- unless you don't think that the NCAA tournament is a good judge of how good a conference is because it's so random, which I think is a fair argument, by the way. I don't think that's crazy to say that, but the Big East just had a great tournament. They've got some great coaches. It's going to be a very competitive conference, but the homer in me is expecting Georgetown to be in the NCAA tournament next March. All right, I'm holding you to that. I'm expecting a futures ticket on Georgetown. <laughs> I didn't say they're gonna. I didn't say they're gonna be in the Final Four, uh, or and I certainly don't think they can win it all. But I, I think uh, I they're gonna get a bump on the recruiting trail with the new coach. That always happens, and I do think uh, I, I do think they'll bring in a nice roster. I think Cooley's a good coach, and it's a program that has a lot of money behind it. Uh, I think uh, I think you could see them back in the NCAA tournament quickly. At John or at Vegas Murray is where you can find John Murray on Twitter, the mm-hmm. director of race and sports over at the Westgate Superbook in Las Vegas. Remember to follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. Follow myself on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. John, before we wrap it up, any closing words for betters that are maybe apprehensive of placing that San Diego State? Florida Atlantic bet that you were mentioning <laughs> in the final four, just overall when it comes to betting the final four and especially the title game yeah. come Monday. Well, you don't have to bet the game just because the final four. Um, I understand that most of the people listening to this podcast are going to have a bet on the final four. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to bet these games just because it's the final four, but I would just say uh, any person out there in any sport, as long as you've got a few different accounts, you're looking at a few different sets of lines, and you're making straight bets, you're so far ahead of the rest of the game. I think you'll be in good shape no matter who you bet. Follow John on Twitter at Vegas Murray. Thanks so much for watching and listening to another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. Head over to play.thelines.com for your shot to win $100 this Final Four weekend between the two games. Again, play.thelines.com. 
Dot com. We'll be back with more videos and podcasts this week. So long, everybody.